Hey there, welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right, I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique. We wanna know what it is about everyone, so we're asking. What's your thing? What's your thing? 10th installment. Very, very happy to be here. I'm one half your host, Brennan. And, and the other half. half, Caitlin, thank you so much for being here. Episode 10, David Jackman. Yes, very, 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 very happy to introduce our guest today, all the way from Newfoundland, joining us via Zoom, making time for us. Um, this gentleman introduced Kempo Karate to Newfoundland and Labrador in 1969, over a half a century ago. He is himself a ninth degree black belt and just focused his time on uh, embracing the community and bringing up people young and old. Uh, forgive me if I missed anything, Mr. Jackman. David Jackman, please go ahead. What's your thing? Well, uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much for this wonderful opportunity to to speak to to both of you and to all your your listeners and all your viewers, and uh, to get the opportunity to talk about something that I love. And I was most fortunate in that what I needed to do and what I loved to do, they both turn out to be the same thing. So I was never beaten up when I was a child, but I was always intimidated. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to go places. Don't bother me and I won't bother you. And then finally, I got to the point where I didn't like the intimidation. I said, I'm going to do something about it. And there are no martial arts being taught in the plan at that time. So I saw on the back of a comic book, Fear No Man Will Make You a Killer in Seven Seconds. Send away 50 cents. And that's the book right here called Lightning Jiu-Jitsu. 50 cents. Um, in the 60s. In the 60s. That was 1962. So I was 11 years of age. And uh, I was going to ask you next, what age did you get into this? So 11 years old, you saw that. Yes. Now, my father, he was a uh, he was a pioneer of combat sports in Newfoundland. He boxed and wrestled and he studied uh, jujitsu from books because uh, Newfoundland was part of uh, uh, it, it was his own uh, nation at that time. And we joined Canada in 1949. And my dad, he was married twice. His first wife passed away. So he was much older. He was 60 when I was born. So when I say he was a pioneer of combat sports, we're going right back into the 40s and 50s. And he uh, and another man, Mr. Arthur Johnson, they had their own amateur athletic club. So they did uh, dumbbell training and gymnastics and wrestling and uh, boxing. Yeah, I was going to say, was there a lot of boxing back then? I feel like that was a popular sport. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and they bought books on jujitsu from England. And uh, so they knew all the moves. And my dad used to carry on a correspondence, personal correspondence with Charles Atlas. Charles Atlas was well known for the 97 pound weakling where he gets sand kicked in his face and wants to do something about it. And they showed Charles Atlas and he used the principle of dynamic tension where you use one muscle group uh, against the other. So my dad carried on a correspondence with him comparing training notes. And uh, my dad, he never pushed me into it, but uh, anytime there was boxing on TV or wrestling, and he also wrestled some of the big name wrestlers when they came to town. He was a big man, but he knew, he knew the game and he was in good shape. He wrestled Strangler Lewis, who was the world champion at that time, and uh, the Mask Marvel, who was another well-known gentleman. And, uh, but I'd be watching boxing on TV with dad and he'd be telling me different things to watch out for and stuff, but I wasn't training at the time. And then eventually I had the chance, there's no karate being taught in Newfoundland. So in uh, 1969, I went to Montreal and I found uh, by luck, 
and by fate, uh, the founder of Kempo in Canada, Jean Guéangel. Uh, so at this point, did you seek out karate specifically, or was it still the boxing, just just the martial arts in general? When you went to Montreal, you were like, I want to do karate. Uh, well, I started uh, the first book that I showed you on Lightning Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, then I bought another book like that. So what happened, at uh, as soon as I bought it, I got... I got uh, hooked on it, and as I got a bit more money, so we're going back again to the 60s, and we didn't have a lot of money, and uh, as I got a bit more money, I'd buy a $2 book, and then uh, when I was in grade eight in St. Bonds, I won a scholarship for mathematics, and I bought this book called Karate, the Art of Empty Hand Fighting by Nishiyama and Brown, and wow. that was $7.50 in American money, so by the time I got it and paid customs and duty and exchange on it, it cost me about uh, 11 or $12, which was quite a lot back then. But this is, this is considered to be one of the Bibles of martial arts. So I bought this in 1965. And uh, still there's no karate being taught in Newfoundland. So when I had my chance, I went to Montreal and I found Jean Guéangel, the founder of Kempo in Canada, who just passed away last October. Wonderful gentleman. And... Uh, I went, uh, started, well, I went to Montreal specifically to learn karate. And I found Kenpo. Kenpo is in Chinese called Shuan Fa. And we trace our roots back to the Shaolin Temple in China. So I went from China to Okinawa to Japan to Hawaii to the United States and into Montreal. So uh, Kenpo, uh, in Japanese, Shuan Fa is pronounced as Kenpo, which means law of the fist. And my instructor, he's the founder of Kenpo in Canada. So I trained with him for a year and then I came back to Newfoundland and introduced Kenpo and sport karate. There's no sport karate in Newfoundland. So I introduced both the, the art of Kenpo and the idea that you could compete in karate uh, for, uh, for sport and uh, have fun with it. And it's very demanding. So, uh, so I've been teaching now. So I have, I'll say this with great pride, but due humility, that uh, I'm teaching martial arts in Newfoundland longer than anybody in the history of Newfoundland. So that's being the one who introduced karate. Can you give us a little bit of an explanation as to how it differentiates from the other major martial arts that people might be familiar with? Like you said, you started learning about jujitsu and then you have Taekwondo. Um, yes. There's, I guess, Brazilian jujitsu or yes. Kung yeah. Fu. Like what, how do these differ and how, what drew you to karate specifically? To be um, on a very rough scale, you could say, if you look at, say, boxing and wrestling, well, boxing would be like karate and judo would be similar to wrestling. So in karate, in our style of Kenpo, uh, the principle is you have uh, punching, striking, kicking, locking, and blocking techniques. And uh, we have sweeps and takedowns where you put the opponent on the ground, but we don't stay on the ground in terms of self-defense. Uh, we, we believe you have more advantages when you're on your feet, you have more options. And if you are surrounded by more than one opponent, you, you, you don't want to be down on the ground. And again, there's a big difference between self-defense and, and sport. In Taekwondo, for example, Taekwondo uses uh, the legs uh, predominantly. In Japanese karate, they'll do more hand techniques. In uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, well, they'll do a combination. They won't do so much kicking, but they'll do like a lot of locking techniques and on the ground grappling. And uh, in Kempo, uh, if you have two good legs and two good arms, then our philosophy is learn how to use, all, learn how to use everything that you have. Because there's a time for it to do a kick, there's a time to do a punch or a hand technique. 
And, uh, and one of the things to realize is that in grappling, in, in say in mixed martial arts, uh, you're not allowed to grab the fingers because as soon as you grab the fingers, that'll stop the grappling. But in self-defense, if somebody tries to grab you, that's one of the things that you would do immediately is that if you can grab a finger, that'll immediately stop the person from, from trying to grab you. So along the way, sometimes we, we mix up the difference between the sport and self-defense. And all of the sport, they all have rules and they all have referees. They all have uh, people in the corners to look after them. They have uh, a doctor there to look after somebody if they get hurt. In self-defense, there, there's two rules in self-defense. Uh, rule number one, you protect yourself at all times. And rule number two, hit without being hit. But having said that, your best form of defense, always your best form of defense is avoidance and prevention. Now, I was, I actually watched a cool video on you and you had some cool things that you said. And I guess it goes into this, uh, that you, you had four messages to send about your Kempo Karate. If I'm, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but it was, you had concentration, which is your mental discipline. And then I guess what you just explained to us would be self-control, which is your yes. emotional discipline. I guess you said the best defense would be your self-control and your emotional kind of avoid. Then good technique would be your physical discipline. Yes. And then just good human being could be your spiritual, however that befalls of you. That, that yes. sounds like a pretty good life lesson to live by. Is that something that you try and instill in your students, whether they're brand new or you know seniors? No. Yes, uh, uh, totally. Because... Uh, a human being is made up of all four things, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And every thought or every feeling that we have, sooner or later, will be manifested in a physical way. So if somebody has a nervous habit, they'll, you know, that'll show something they might have a scratch or um, they might have a tick, something like that. And, or they might eat too much or they might not eat, eat, uh, eat enough. So everything that happens with inside of us sooner or later comes out because we have to express ourselves physically in this world. So when you have good technique, when you're uh, doing a move properly, that's, uh, that's a physical discipline. And uh, when you exercise self-control and you're controlling your emotions and uh, instead of flying off the handle, you exercise some, some understanding, some compassion. Uh, well, that's, that's your, your emotional discipline, which is self-control. When you can keep your mind and on something and focus and concentrate and put all your energies into one thing, well, that concentration is a mental discipline. And then trying to be a decent human being, no matter what your spiritual beliefs are, we all have to learn how to get along together and, and uh, give and take, so that, as the saying goes, and learn the fine art of compromise, which is not submission, but just learning how to get along. So all of these make up the individual. And uh, if we can understand all of these, then uh, we can get along better with each other. We can have a more positive life. We can be healthier. And uh, all of these put together, they all make up the art. Well, I and, found it me a lot. I'm, I'm a guy who's pretty anxious and I have a lot of ticks, as Caitlin knows for sure. But it was actually her. We, we briefly got into just American style stand-up kickboxing. And I found it was one of the best times in my life. It was one, you found a good atmosphere a good environment we went to a gym there's like-minded people of all different strengths and weaknesses right. and kind of no i shouldn't say weaknesses sorry different calibers of uh of experience and skill and it was really like you find something together that you're all in and i do i do feel like my confidence really picked up right that being right. said you, you so you found yourself into this at 11 then you went over to montreal and you studied for a year and you brought it back to newfoundland yes what um what were the challenges that you faced? Because you were obviously a person that was brought up around that with your father. 
And then did you have trouble coming back and trying to recruit into this new thing? Or were you just, did you find people lined up and were just ready to go? It was, uh, it was a challenge. Uh, I, the first school that I wanted to start was at the University, Memorial University. And I went to see the director of the phys ed department. And uh, so keeping in mind that I'd been studying since I was 11, uh, in a workshop behind our house, I had my own punching bag set up with, uh, with the pressure points drawn on it. And I've been practicing since I was 11 years of age. I studied with the founder of the art, who was a champion, uh, Jean Guéangel. So I, I had invested a lot of time and efforts. And when I came back to, to, to St. John's and to Newfoundland, uh, I wasn't like a fly-by-night guy, but that's how I was treated. And I went to see the director of the phys ed department to see if I could get some space to start teaching a class. And uh, he wouldn't give me anything. And really? so I started teaching anyway. And I taught in the hallways. I taught in the balcony overlooking the swimming pool. If the combat room, which they had for judo and wrestling, if that was open, I'd go in there or one of the props would open for me. And I did that for a year. And the director, he'd pass me by if I was teaching, teaching a class and we'd look at each other and we carry on and then I went back a year later, saw him again. And uh, then they opened up a space that they had basically empty for most of the time with floor, with floor to, to ceiling wall to wall mirrors on the back of it. And I just looked at it in disbelief that that was there for a whole year that we could have used it. So part of me was kind of disgruntled over that upset. And then I realized, well, me doing what I did, it showed myself and it showed anybody around that I was determined and that I had tenacity and that I wasn't going away. So I proved myself in that sense. And, no. uh, and another time, excuse me, I'll just finish one more story. Uh, I was teaching in a community uh, outside of St. John's in called Conception Bay South and teaching in a school and a parish priest found out that we were there, but it's too late for him to stop. And he was upset about it. And I talked to him on the phone and I still remember what he said. <clears throat> he said, you might as well give the people guns as give them martial arts. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, well, have you ever seen one of our classes? And he said, no, nor do I ever intend to. And we went to a demonstration at a youth conference in this particular school and he was the speaker before us. Uh, when we got up, he left. Oh, really? so, so that'll give you an idea of some of the ignorance that was shown right, towards me. And so in some ways it was grasped and people loved it, but uh, I'd get questions like, do you have to license your hands? You know, do you learn how to kill people? Do you have to break the bones in your hand? So it took very much a, of an education process to teach people about it. And then we had the Kung Fu series where guys on, on, in the movies that were putting their hands through anything, you know, any kind of wall and posts. Was and that David was, Carradine? Uh, pardon? Was David Carradine Kung Fu? Uh, no, that was before David Carradine. So this is when you have five fingers of death and these oh, okay. the, the chop suey, they used to call them the chop suey Western type uh, things where guys, you'd see that they delayed speech. So it, it was all in Chinese and then uh, it dubbed into English. And so guys were jumping through the air and smashing everything, everything in front of them. <laughs> so, so that was, so we had to educate people in, in that regard. And you know, show people that you know the sport is one aspect of the art. So the art encompasses everything, and uh, physical fitness, self-discipline, uh, self-defense, your uh, your overall health, and and the sport is one aspect of the art. And when you practice everything, now you're practicing the art. 
So what happened? So I think you've set a really great stage of what the challenges were for you when you when you started bringing this the the art to Newfoundland. So where where have you come? Like where is where are you now? Uh, and where is it going around you? Well, the one thing is that uh, today, and because we've gone through so many uh, evolutions, and uh, we had the Bruce Lee era at one time. And uh, and then you had the you know the kung fu TV series. So what happened was that the martial arts they've gone through fad phases, and they've hit highs and lows. But every time they come back, they come back at a higher level, because more people realize that it's not about you know breaking everything in sight, but that there's a physical fitness side to it. There is learning. There's the confidence. There's the the discipline. And discipline is not punishment. Discipline means you are in control. So discipline is not your enemy. Discipline is your friend. And uh, discipline doesn't restrict you. It sets you free, free to accomplish. So uh, one of the great things was the, uh, was the Karate Kid. And in that, people finally saw what the benefits of the martial arts were, that uh, the things that it teaches you, and that, again, self-defense is a last resort in terms of actually having to use it. And you, you want to use your, your compassion. You want to use your intellect. You want to use your, all of your six senses and avoid things of, of that nature. And when all else has failed, then you would use your, your self-defense. But uh, for everyday use, because some people might never go through life having to defend themselves. But we have issues and challenges every day of our lives in, in our physical fitness and confidence and learning how to apply ourselves. Today, you look at so many children that are dealing with, with what they call attention deficit. Well, there are so many physiologists out there and psychologists and psychiatrists who recommend training in the martial arts because of the focus involved. And when someone can hit you in a split second, and you've got to block and counter that uh, in, in an equal amount of time. And that could be a combination of three or four moves. And all that can take place in one or two seconds. So, and, and you don't have the length of a foot, football field to do it. So you're close uh, to each other. So you have to have focus. Uh, you have to be able to read the opponent's intention. How do they stand? How do they position themselves? So your powers of observation have to be keen. And, uh, and when children are doing something they love to do, they will automatically discipline themselves to get better. Now, they won't call it discipline. They won't call it doing what it takes or just out of pure love. And if you give a child some kind of new Nintendo game, well, that child will spend hours uh, hours doing that and they will automatically find the, uh, the energy and the interest to do it to get ahead. And that's one of the things that we have to find for children today are these things that they want to do, but allow them the, the entry point and allow them to find things that are good and let them show us what they need. And then we'll give them some direction, but uh, we, have to find, we have to find the way to make it easier for them to get into the, the world of martial arts. And uh, where it's going now, there are more people training in martial arts today than ever before. And it's impossible, I've gone online and it's almost impossible to determine how many people there are around the world that have martial arts training, that have some kind of skill, they are in the hundreds and hundreds of millions. And, uh, and that speaks to the value of them. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then you have at the bottom food, clothing, shelter, and protection. 
when these needs are met, then you can go on to the higher levels, what to call self-actualization, where we become the best version of ourselves as a human being. But we have to meet the basic needs first. And I think more people are realizing the true benefit of martial arts is in the overall development of the individual in terms of your character, in terms of your confidence and your self-control. And then when you can handle these things, then if someone, if you can block something and counterattack in a split second, well, when you've got time to sit down and look at a problem and there's no one gonna to try to hit you, there's no one gonna to try to knock the wind out of you, uh, now all of a sudden your mind has become more powerful. And we know that, uh, that uh, knowledge is power, power is the ability to act. So the more things I can do with my, with my brain in a split second, well, when I have time and I don't have these, uh, these threats, now my brain is freer to, to be more imaginative, to think through a problem, to properly see the end result. And that's one of the things that, that uh, Kempo taught me. I was, I was lucky I did well in school, thanks to my parents and the genes that they passed on to me. But Kempo taught me how to see the positive and to take something and bring it through to a successful conclusion. And uh, the way I see it today is that there's the greater, today we have the greatest need for martial arts than ever before. And for all of the benefits, for the confidence, but also we can say that learning a martial art is learning how to fight, but a far greater thing is learning how not to fight. And that doesn't mean that you're a coward. It doesn't mean that you quote unquote, you're a chicken, but you realize, well, wait a minute, maybe that person had a bad day. Maybe something happened to them that's completely unrelated to you. So they have something, some words to have, they have some words with you, but it's not you that they're really upset with. It's just you know a, a situation. So we could exercise some self-control and some compassion and understanding and show the person some respect. Well, the time might come that we're not enemies. We mightn't be friends, but we're not enemies and we'll learn how to live and let live. And I think that's one of the biggest things of martial arts is that, is that it teaches you how to get along better with other people. And, uh, and it shows you that, that you can control things, that once, uh, once you have abilities and you have confidence in yourself, if confidence could speak, it would say, yes, I can. And sometimes we need to learn how to talk to ourselves to get that answer when we ask a question. What's it? Yeah. Sounds like, like it, I, I like what you said about kids, especially today with their, like, you know, these behavioral problems or maybe like the ADHDs and like finding something in themselves to kind of get rid of that energy. I want to go next to, you were talking about how you were at the university and you were teaching the classes. So you're one year in when you started this. Yes. Um, you have nine a ninth degree black belt. Yes. How like where do you go from here? You've it, how long did it take you to achieve that with your teachings and what's what's the future? You know, like where where do you see so yourself? Get, taking... uh, thank you. To get uh, well to get my black belt, I had to go back to Montreal, and uh, when I went back to get my black belt, that was in 1973, and at that time I lived in the dojo. So I slept on a, on a fallout couch in one of the uh, dressing rooms and I'd clean the dojo. And uh, then I'd be training about six hours a day. And then I came back in 73, uh, I got my black belt and then I became a full-time professional. So I was still in university previous to that, but I realized university wasn't for me. And uh, it was teaching karate, teaching Kempo was, was what I really wanted. And uh, so I made up my mind, well, that was it. So either make a decision and live by it, but don't look back and have any regrets. 
So in 73, I became a full-time professional and I was the first person in Newfoundland to receive a black belt and become a full-time martial arts instructor. And uh, along the way, you know, there've been a lot of ups and downs, uh, trying to get things started, you know, uh, lots of jobs along the way in the summertime when enrollment would be slow, but I kept building it and uh, kept trying to expand and get more schools. It was never an easy, it's never an easy thing to try to make a living doing it. And sometimes people look at it, well, you should be a volunteer like in baseball or hockey or whatever. And they don't realize that you have a highly specialized skill and that uh, to do it properly, your energies have to be devoted to it. So when you put in enough time and enough training and train enough people, and there are more people out there teaching martial arts in Newfoundland that have my DNA on them than, than what uh, I can count. But to get the word out, um, I wrote columns for the largest publications in Newfoundland for the evening Evening Telegram, it was known then for the weekend edition. And I wrote a weekly column called uh, Kempo Corner, where I, where I spoke about the benefits of the martial arts, the philosophy, and also gave some training tips and spoke a little bit about physiology. And uh, I also had a TV show on Channel 9, which was a community channel. So we just gotten cable here in Newfoundland, uh, not too much longer before that. And I was one of the first shows on the cable uh, channel. And then uh, following year, I went to the Newfoundland Herald, which was the TV guide. And with the TV guide, it meant that the message was in people's houses for about a week to 10 days because they would buy the TV guide and they also had some articles in it, some uh, entertainment news and what have you. So people would refer to that. And uh, so they would keep it around the house for at least a week. So that meant every time they, they lifted up that magazine to look at the, at the listings or read an article, they had a chance to see uh, my articles. And at that time, I featured a series of articles on women's self-defense. So it was a pictorial display of women's self-defense. So that was back in 1977, 1978. And uh, so along the way, I helped to get other schools established across Newfoundland and Labrador. But it's a, it's a difficult thing here in Newfoundland because our population, we only have 500,000 people in the entire province. And the island part of Newfoundland is the 10th largest island in the world. So we have communities of 300 people, 1,000 people, 400 people. St. John's, the biggest city, only had a population of 100,000. So it's very difficult trying to get around the province and... Uh, and uh, get school to establish. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start a class at the university was that I would teach the teachers who would go back to their communities and hopefully they would start schools, which a few of them did. But uh, it was still a, still a challenge. But again, I was, uh, as I said, I was lucky that I found something that what I love to do and also what I needed to do, they were both the same. So I had a love for it and I had a tenacity and part of me just wouldn't give up even though there are times, I'll be honest, there are times that felt like giving up because you don't see, you don't see a lot of results at the end of the day in terms of making a good living, but uh, you, learn, you learn to do it better and to get ahead. And these days, um, I teach a course called Wise Walk. And Wise Walk is about trail safety and self-defense. And I show people how you can use everyday actions to defend yourself. And, uh, and, and again, when you're on a trail, how to be alert, how to be sharp, 
and I'll give you one tip. If somebody is approaching you on a trail and sometimes we're not quite sure what to do, you know, they might look a little bit gruff, but uh, we don't feel like putting our hands up and it turned out to be harmless, but at the same time, our hands are down, we feel vulnerable. So that, that, that indecision and that uncertainty causes a problem. So all you got to do is bring your hands up and pretend you're fixing your collar. Okay? But very important to see that palm of your hand, keep that facing out. So you're always, you're always ready to move. Exactly. So now you have your throat is protected. Elbows are in, so you don't get pulled off balance. And, and it's just relaxing, very natural. But now you know that you're ready if something happens. And if it turns out to be harmless, you don't feel like a fool, or you don't feel like an idiot that, you know, you put your guard up and there was no reason to do it. But at the same time, you got rid of the uncertainty. So a little move like that uh, helps to calm and, and get rid of that, uh, of that uncertainty. So it's things like that that I show people and how to, how to watch out for things on the trail. For, for example, you're on a trail and there's an embankment that could be by the river. Well, you let people pass you on the outside to make sure that you don't slip off the bank or that the bank doesn't give away or that they don't push you and take you out of sight. And you always have to make your defense where you are. So if you're confronted on a trail and somebody said, well, come over here. No, you have to stay where you are. And uh, so it's things like that that I'll point out to people. And uh, so we're going to do more of that. And uh, there's a big need for it now in uh, and not only Newfoundland, but, but, but everybody. Everybody should have some basic self-defense skills. And that doesn't, because we have uh, self-protection in terms of safety around the stove, uh, safety with a sharp knife, electricity. But uh, what kind of insurance do we have on our own personal safety? And I always laugh because like when I was boxing, I was a big guy and I have no no desire to fight anyone because I got punched in the head by guys who are as big as me and it's not fun. So <laughs> I think I think them learning it, the consequences and me learning the consequences is like, okay, uh, we can just be friends because yep. it hurts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and at the end of the day, so uh, the biggest thing is that uh, the chance of you, we, we call it the, the risk to consequence. Now, everybody has insurance on their houses and on their homes. And the, the risk of, of that house burning down are very slim. It happens, but, but it's slim. But the bank will not give you a mortgage unless you got insurance. Because if, if it does burn down without insurance, well, now people could be ruined financially for the rest of their lives. So the risk might be low, but the consequences are high. And the same thing in self-defense. The risk of you being attacked could be low, but the consequences could be life-threatening and life-altering. So that's why you have some basic self-defense skills. It's, it's not because we're paranoid, but it's for the insurance factor. Makes sense. So following up to that, what is the one thing about self-defense or martial arts that you would like you know, average people to know? That everybody has some self-defense skills that they can use. And if we look at the animals, like the animals, the way they transport themselves, the way they feed, groom, uh, look after their nests, build their homes. These are the same, same, um, same mannerisms and the same skills that they use to protect themselves. So a bird will find a worm, pick it up, and feed the young. Well, a bird will also peck at you. Or uh, an osprey will pick up a fish out of the ocean with its talons, and will also use its talons to scratch and to, to claw. 
or a bird will, will pick up a piece of straw and build a nest. So the animals don't have separate self-defense moves, right? It's everyday actions, but for, used for a different reason. And uh, so everybody can do something in terms of learning how to defend themselves. And, and it's not about being paranoid, but it's realizing that yes, it, when, all else, when all else has failed and your life is in danger, there are things that you can do that will help you. And it's not about being paranoid. It's not about always thinking that someone will attack you, but it's like taking reasonable precautions. When we get in the car and drive to a certain intersection and oh, oh, here comes that intersection that we hate, you know, and it causes angst and everything and we're nervous or we're looking, well, we still, we'll, we'll still drive through that intersection if that's where we want to go with, and we'll still do it, but we'll use more, more control. We'll, we'll try to pick maybe the time of day when the traffic won't be so heavy and we'll be on extra, extra careful. And the same thing in self-defense. So you don't go to places where your instinct says, wait a minute, I don't feel comfortable. So you'll go to uh, places where it's more friendly and you'll, you'll always have your senses about you. And, uh, and again, it's learning how to recognize different signs and realizing that when all else has failed, you do have some ways that you can defend yourself. And, uh, and, and if, if something doesn't feel right, get out of there. Move, trust your instinct, trust that intuition, get out of that situation immediately. And, uh, and self-defense, uh, it's part of, uh, of our own satisfaction knowing that we can stand our own two feet and we can do things. And it doesn't mean we're going to challenge the world, but it means we allow ourselves to do things that will help, fill, help fulfill us and allow us to be, again, the best version of the person that we can be and to enjoy our lives to the fullest. That's like, that, that's my favorite thing about your message is like, everybody has it in them. Like everybody, we're all different, but you know, you can find it in yourself. And I thought that was really cool in the, in the news segment that I saw on you, where you talked about, you had students that were, you know, 20 year old, 20 years old to seven years old. And they were saying at a young age, could I be a black belt? And it's like, yeah, you could, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a neat sport yes. slash discipline. That's kind of open to everyone. Yes. The next question I wanted to ask you, now that we've learned about your thing, is there anything uh, that's not to do with Ken Karate that you, you kind of have that you want to share with us? Something funny about you that's not the thing you're talking about today? Well, uh, let me think. There are a few things uh, I can tell you about uh, about my grandfather, Captain John Jackman, who was the master on a ship called the Algerine, and he brought back the last body found from the Titanic. Really? Yes. Wow. I, I've always wanted to go to the Titanic Museum that's in Halifax, correct? Uh, that's... Uh, I'm like obsessed with the Titanic history. That is so. So, who was the? Do they did they identify the body, or was it an, an, an unknown? Um, the, no, they never identified the body. But the the life jacket, uh, the body was sent on to Halifax. Halifax took care of of, of the burials and the interments mm -hmm. and everything. But uh, the life jacket that was taken off that body is in the museum here in St. John's. Oh and uh, grandfather, uh, Borings, they were uh, they were charter members. Of Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's of London, uh, they were the biggest uh, insurers of ships in the world at that time. And if you were, if you were classified as a master mariner, that meant you could take a sailing vessel anywhere in the world and be insured through Lloyd's of London. And uh, Lloyd's of London, they were the agents for the Titanic here in Newfoundland. And uh, so they were commissioned to do a final search for bodies. And uh, grandfather was chosen, and he was on. Okay, that's called the Algerine. And uh, that was, so grandfather, he was the master on it, the captain. 
And uh, so they went out to, to the last known site of wreckage and uh, did a search. And like I said, they found one body. They had 100 coffins on board with an embalmer, um, but they only found the one body. And after they did an extensive search, they did a grid and uh, grandfather wired back that uh, between the currents and at the time that had elapsed, uh, he didn't think that, that they'd find uh, any other bodies. So, uh, so they came back with just that one body. And I'll tell you, and this is a ship called the Mini. And uh, my grandfather owned that ship and my dad crossed the Atlantic Ocean with him and his mom and his younger brother in 1900. Dad was uh, eight years of age. Yeah. And, and he sailed around the world with him for eight summers. And uh, they went down through, through uh, Spain, Portugal, so they would have brought uh, saltfish down to the Caribbean or over to Spain and Portugal. And then the Caribbean, they would have picked up rum and molasses and brought it back to Newfoundland, or they would have picked up salt over in Spain and brought, brought that back to Newfoundland. And, uh, and I'll tell you one more story. So that's my, that's my father right there. and his younger brother, uh, Uncle Jim, and uh, my grandmother. This lady here, that's my sister. She celebrated her 100th birthday a couple of weeks ago. She's from my dad's first marriage. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. But here you see all cock and brown. And they have a mailbag that's, uh, that's posted in St. John's, Newfoundland. My grandmother handmade that that mailbag. Wow, that's that's really cool. So, and my so dad, what's the, the merchant's uh, experience in your family? So it's it's funny because uh, and my dad was was in Lester, up on Lester's Field when all Cotton Brown took off. So he was there to actually see them take off, and uh, so my grandmother handmade the mailbag, and and her name is actually on the inside of it. So dad was there to see that. And he's also uh, down at the wharf when grandfather returned from the, from the search for the, for the Titanic bodies. Wow. So, so it's things like that. And, you know, there are many, many families in Newfoundland that have history of, uh, of people that have gone to sea and have sailed the world. And not, not to mention contribu contributions to history. I was at the Canadian War Museum the other day, and there's uh, the World War One service for Newfoundland, given the population was absolutely outstanding. The, yes. the sacrifice yeah. that was made, especially by the one regiment, yes, I believe exactly. was the Somme on that one assault where they had, what, an 80% casualty rate or something yeah. by the time they came back. Yeah. Yes. That's why I think, uh, yeah, that's uh, small island has been through quite a bit, but the people all seem to be nice. You guys have a reputation across Canada as being the most humble, kindest people there, and I've heard good things about it. Before uh, before well, we wrap you. up, can you uh, can you plug your dojo or, or any of your schools that you might want to just share? If people want to get into it in Newfoundland, Labrador. Well, uh, last year or past few years, I've taught with uh, Rock Athletics, and oh, anybody goodness. in um, in Montreal or in Quebec area. You could go to, uh, this is my instructor, the late Jean Guiangel. And uh, anybody in the Quebec area could go and look up Kenpo in, in Quebec. Learn from the original Kempos, master. Yeah. Yes. Spread the lineage. 
So his son, his son looks after the school these days, but uh, wonderful, wonderful men. And uh, when I went to, the, to, to Montreal and trained in that school, I was the only English guy in the school. And uh, I did French in school, but it was, it was, we did uh, Parisian French and they speak Quebecois French. There's a little bit of a difference. And there's a bit of a difference. So, uh, so I had to look closely, see what my instructor was doing, pay attention to the details and be observant. And that helped me tremendously when I started to teach to like, have powers of observation. But then I realized I didn't have a working language. No. Then I had to go back through all of my books and magazines and put together a working language in English to be able to explain things. And, uh, and that helped me tremendously to, to think about things and to be better, better prepared. So it's, it's Rock Athletics and then the original Campo Studio in Montreal? Yes. Well, thank, thank you so much for being on the, the podcast. It was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. You've done, uh, you've done wonders for the, the community and the art, and we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Well, well, I, I thank both of you very much for, for this opportunity and uh, to all your listeners. I, I hope uh, everybody is doing well and uh, for your, for your uh, interest and desire. And if you ever come to Newfoundland, by all means, uh, look us up. And... I'll drop in a class if, uh, if you'd have me. I'd love that. I think oh, yes, awesome. absolutely. We'd love to have you. You'll be our guest and we'll show you. I'll, I'll, I'll personally show you around and show you the sites. We have a beautiful province and uh, here in Newfoundland, People had to learn how to have fun and how to laugh and how to sing because uh, it was so hard trying to make a living and trying to survive. So we had to we had to have a way to have fun because if, if not, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd perish just from the pressure of it. But but thank you for those kind words. And uh, we like to have fun. And uh, and today, more and more people, we need to have fun. We need to laugh. We need to sing. And uh, we need. We need to learn how to get along. I don't I don't want to sound to be a preacher, but but uh, people need to need to relax a bit more and uh, you know see see the joy in life. I, I totally agree. And uh, we'd love to ask our listeners for anybody who's listening: Have you done any martial arts? And if you have, please let us know what it is in the comments. And again, Mr. David Jackman, thank you so much. We're very happy. Thank you so much, Caitlin and Brent. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And absolutely wonderful to meet you and we'll hopefully see you again sometime i hope so watch your thing podcast thanks everyone thanks for listening thank you so make sure to check us out what's your thing pod.com check us out on instagram youtube follow us on tiktok check us out we're gonna have a blast what's your thing what's your pain?